Hi, I'm Penny. And I'm Jo. And together we're... Unripe. We're two Australian women. Actually, I'm a Kiwi. And I'm Italian. We're on the other side of 40 and we've never had kids. We're not experts, we're just like you. We're trying to understand our place in the world to find a community of women who are childless by circumstance or child-free by choice. We're here to talk about IVF, being childless and single, childless and married or in a relationship, abortion, losing friends to motherhood and everything that people just don't talk about on these subjects. Who knew how hard it could be to find a group to talk about this stuff? We are a tribe hidden in plain sight. So we're going to talk about it all. The good. The bad. The freedom. The loneliness. The judgment. And the possibilities when you're a childless woman. We want to make these conversations part of the mainstream. We invite you to join us. Welcome back. It's episode two for Unripe. Welcome. Hey, Joe. How are you going? Hey, Penny. How are you today? Pretty good. Yeah. For a Sunday. Pretty good for a Sunday. What are we going to talk about? Well, today we're talking about the family that we grew up in and the impact on our choices to either have children, not have children, or delay having children. Now, I told a little bit of my story last week. I'll just sort of recap, but then I want to hear yours because it's quite different from mine. So I am a migrant, you know, my parents came out here when I was two years old and I'm an only child. Mum never talked to me about why she couldn't have children, mm. but I know that she did want to have more but wasn't able to. Even to this day, it's not a conversation that we have quite easily, so it's not something that I can really comment on. I just know that mum had some really serious issues with uh, menstruation. Um, I know she was in hospital because of bleeding. I know I've had that similar mm, um, yeah. situation, but that's it. It's as that's the story. So it's, it's off topic. Like it's it's not just something not something. That... And you know what? To be honest with you, she might not even know because she. My mum grew up in an era and in a culture where you didn't ask any questions of your doctor. Your doctor was like God, and your doctor said you need to take this tablet and you never ask, what is it? Why am I taking it? What's wrong with me? She grew up at a time when people who had cancer weren't told that they had cancer and just left alone, right? So it's a very different culture, yeah. different era. So that's my, you know, my story growing up as an only child. I was very lonely and begging mum and dad to have more kids, not understanding what that meant. Um, Did you have like other close no, neighbours with no, cancer or anything? we literally grew up on a farm in the middle of nowhere. So that's my story and I think that really influenced my decision to seek a very different life. Before we, we go to my story, you just said like you liked climbing trees and stuff. I did too, by the way. Loved climbing trees and being outside. Do you think, and I, I don't want to get into the whole gender stereotype, but do you think you were seen as a tomboy? Absolutely. I hated being a girl. I hated it. Yeah. I hated it. But, you know, again, for me, it was more of a cultural thing because being female in my culture growing up in the 70s and 80s meant that I couldn't go out. I couldn't do things that boys were allowed to do. I wasn't allowed to do all these things and it was because of my gender. Yeah, so gender was a real, a really huge issue for me growing up. You know, I hated being a girl, hated it. Tell yeah. us about your story. Yeah, look, right, so I'm, uh, I said I'm a, from New Zealand. So I grew up in New Zealand, rural New Zealand, um, with my mum and dad and my brother. And when I was really young, I actually do remember, similar to you, saying to mum, can you have another? I want a sister. Mm. I really want a sister. 
Um, but they had me and then they had my brother two years later. So they had their, you know, girl and boy. So I saw very stereotypical upbringing for me. Uh, I was expected to be a good girl. Uh, and when I say that, so I, most people I think who are listening will understand what that means, but it's that you don't say anything you speak when spoken to and you only say things if you're going to be to be kind and if you've got something un, unkind to say then just keep it to yourself mm. um, and you do the right thing my mum I think was much more interested in the farming so they did that together so I had this kind of stereotypical way of being brought up and that mum did all of those things she was very is still she's very good at the arts and crafts and being able to sew. She sewed all of our clothes, which was incredible, even though at the time I didn't really appreciate no. that. But she, it sounds like she also did all of the, and know, the, the heavy work She as well. did a lot of the, the farm work. Yeah. She was yeah. up and milking um, morning and afternoon. Yeah. So she was incredibly busy. So she was incredibly tired. Um, and I didn't see what I saw was uh, someone who was really happy. I saw someone who was who was very exhausted from looking after a household and making sure that her kids were really well looked after mm. and uh, turned out well dressed and yeah um, presentable. Well, yes, very presentable. So, do you do you feel your mother enjoyed being a mum? I I and I have had this conversation with her. Where I've said I my reflection of it is that you you didn't really enjoy being a mother that you were it was just a really busy time for you and that when you came home from the cow shed it was like oh, what have I got to deal with now yeah, yeah. Uh, rather than um, being coming and enjoying you know what happened at school today and being interested in what we were doing at school. I wonder if that was typical of the time as well, because that would have been the 80s or 70s, 80s. The early part of your life was the 70s um, and then the 80s. I wonder if that was typical of the time as well. You know, this whole I think this whole idea of parents being really part of their children's life is quite, quite new. It is. And you were they they were allowed to uh, parents had their life. Their life yeah. was about what they wanted to do. And now we see where parents are driven by their children's yeah. lives. Did you feel that what you were seeing from her was, oh, this is not something that's great, you know, having kids isn't so great? I didn't. I just didn't see someone who was really happy. Yeah. I saw someone who was probably thrived on the success of how the cows were doing and mm. – what the milk production was right. and what the milk solids were and seeing those numbers and that was where her joy was. And did you find that more interesting? So I was left to, yeah. to kind of think about what am I, what, where, what do I do? So my brother was very much encouraged that he should get a trade and um, get a trade and then you'll be sorted. So what were you encouraged to do? Well, I wasn't. You uh, And I would say that to mum, I would say... So if my brother can go into having a trade, what should I? She said, you could do anything. Wow. I said, oh, okay. Um, I'm not sure that that helps me, but um, could I be 
could I be a farmer? No, no, you don't want to be a farmer. Wow, you don't want yeah, to be a farmer. Okay. And she actually recalls this later saying, I, she said, I wish I hadn't said that because farming is now a business and you would have been really great exceptional at, at it. Um, so but she does recall life. saying that. It's it a is a hard, hard life. life. It's, a way, of, it's yeah. a way of life, to be fair. So I, I grew up um, thinking that, okay, so I'm going to be, get, go to university. Did, did you at any point w- think about family, children, that sort of thing? What, was you, what were your thoughts ar- around that? I wasn't focused on it, but it was, it was going to happen. So for you, having kids and, a fa- and that traditional family was, was in the cards? Yeah, well, yeah, it wasn't not in the cards. And I, I obviously have thought about this, you know, a bit, but I was very focused on going to university and then I was going to go travelling. So that was kind of my plan and I hadn't thought much mm. past that, what that would look like. And that's exactly what I did. So I went from finishing university, spent a year in another part of New Zealand living a, a great life, and then I went on to go to the UK for my 20s. And I say that I wasn't, you know, I expected that at some point I would have kids, but I was never actively seeking a husband and kids. So it wasn't something that I was actively trying to get myself into that position. friends who knew that you know they really wanted kids and it was something that was really important to them and felt had conversations where they felt this pressure and that they wouldn't belong until they had kids so they were very driven by having kids for that reason did your family ever pressure you well I was away for all of that time so they just didn't kind of didn't have those conversations Mm. and You'll get to it. You'll meet someone. Mm. Who have you met? Like, but the focus was more on when she meets the the right guy, and mm. then then that that will happen. So, who have you met? Like, oh, he seems lovely. So, or, by the time you came back and you were around your family, was did they start to pressure you at all? Because you at that stage you were in your what late twenties. Yeah, I was twenty nine yeah. when I came back from the UK, and I came back because I thought that I had needed to settle down and you know what what am I doing now you feel so old isn't that ridiculous at 29 mm, mm. turning 30 I came back to New Zealand actually because my brother was getting married and I really was so excited and I wanted to be part of their wedding activities and and be part of that except when I got back to New Zealand I realized that it wasn't uh, big enough um, and through it's a whole different story but I ended up coming to Melbourne mm and loved it perfect for me and I still I was still finding myself and not actively looking for um a husband so if I think about where I came from so this this today we were you know thinking about where we came from and how that affected our decisions I was never actively looking to be a mother who worked and had kids. To me, it didn't seem, and I think that was that was always playing underneath, even though my dialogue or my story was that 
one day I'll have kids because that's expected. Mm. So maybe I was saying that out loud, like, yeah, of course I'll have kids one day. When you say that's expected, who do you who was that expected by? Uh just general different family members, um, extended, like close and extended. There would just be I don't know, they call them the bingos, you know, the comments of, oh, when you meet the right guy, when you're, you change your mind and it'll happen, you know, can't believe you haven't found someone, like, oh, you're so, you're so amazing, like, of course you'll meet mm. someone. Even though it's not saying when are you having kids, that's what they're saying. Mm. So once you meet someone, then, you, then you'll then have, you'll have kids. kids. So I I knew and understood what was being said and I played along with it because, yeah, sure, sure, sure. It's yeah. easier. And yeah. why not? It wasn't offensive. But at one point, though, in your 30s, you did start thinking about it more consciously. I did. I did. That's when I started thinking about um, if I'm going to do this, maybe I need to, to freeze some eggs, maybe I need to think about IVF on my own. Hey, Penny. Yes, Joe. Do you have some numbers and <laughs> statistics that you want to share with us today? <laughs> I do. I do because, you know me, here we go. You so, love okay, the numbers. So, you yeah, love I do. Tick, 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 tick. Okay, last week we talked about our numbers as a collective. So we know that around 17% of women over 40 in both New Zealand and Australia have no children. But what is the makeup of those numbers? We know that the more educated a woman is, the more likely she is to choose not to have children. We also know that women who live in major cities are less likely to have children over their rural-based sisters. Mm. Last week I also touched on the fact that migrants to Australia in particular, not born in Australia, were less likely to have children. In data I found from the 96 census, 24% were American, 21% were from the Philippines and 18% from Malaysia. Also of note from this census was the fact that a lower proportion of Indigenous women aged 45 to 49 were childless compared to non-Indigenous women. Okay. It's numbers only, so we can't tell why from these numbers, but is it about sexual education and the availability of contraception Mm. it has to have something to do with it i I think it must yeah yeah look then i went on to does religion have an effect we kind of touched on this Mm. a bit last week you gave a bit of a um your background but from the same census in 96 so i know that i'm i'm looking at something that's a little bit older but it was Mm. still interesting the highest proportion of childless women were buddhist at 17 percent followed by those who did not identify with a religion at 16%, and then higher numbers showed also at 10% for Anglican, Catholic, and Judaism equally. Islamic women had the lowest level at 6%. So I found a really interesting paper written by Deakin University published in 2013, so a bit more recent, using a population group from Victoria, Australia, which looked into the reasons for childlessness. They identified early that research into childlessness to this date was always linked to infertility. So they made a, a point of that was the generalised view of why people didn't have kids. Mm. An interesting line from this paper reads, regards of the reasons for the increase in childlessness in recent decades, 
female childlessness continues to be characterized by Western society as unconventional, undesirable, and social de- social so- socially deviant. <laughs> oh, I love that. We're socially deviant. I know. Isn't, isn't that kind of funny? <laughs> I love it. They, the study found that the themes for childlessness were life desires, concerns, circumstance and choice, health concerns, and age. This study suggests while for many women childlessness is about choice and circumstance, women also feel the need to justify and explain their childless status. Furthermore, these findings indicate childless women are stigmatised and socially excluded. Hmm. So I found another interesting article in the Journal of Biosocial Science written in 2005, which looked at family background, schooling and childlessness in Australia, and analysed the extent to which childlessness amongst Australian women aged 40 to 54 varies according to the size and type of family in which they were brought up and the Mm. level and type of schooling they had. It confirmed that higher education was a factor in being childless and having a smaller number of siblings at age, smaller number of siblings at age 14, having a father who was either absent or dead or at 14, having a father who was employed in a professional occupation or being a migrant from North or West Europe North America. So they're less likely or to have East children. Asia or Southeast Asia, correct. Wow. So some of these we've talked about before, but the new pickup in this study was coming from a family with fewer siblings. It's a completely different point mm. that I've not heard. Ra- you know, and I've read a bit of stuff now. Yeah. But it's not, that's a point that I've never seen come up before. So I found that one quite fascinating. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Excellent. And, and interestingly, coming from a family unit where the father is absent, could it be inferred that the traditional concept of a family unit is less entrenched when a woman has grown up with only their mother raising them? So, you know, it makes the point of either their father at age 14, so they've picked a point, being um, absent or has passed away, Mm. that they are less likely to to have kids. So that was something else that I hadn't seen. I could infer, mm-hmm. you know, it says also at 14 if their father's um, employed in a professional occupation, I think that that goes towards their kids being more likely to go into higher education if they're in a professional. But wow. the father being absent, to me, in general, I don't want to, to be too, too black and white about it, but in general the woman, um, the mother will look after the kids mm. and kids who have been brought up by uh, a single mother are, according to the study in 2013, less likely, 2005, I'm sorry. Less likely to have Less their likely own. to have their own kids. You're making me want to like statistics. I mean, I'll never do the research, thank you, uh, but it's really fascinating to me. Thank you for all that information. We'll be back in just a moment with our special guest. So today we've got a special guest. We've got Marie, who is a good friend of mine who um, I've known for a number of years. And the interesting thing is that Marie and I don't really talk about, we have sometimes talked about the fact that we're both child-free, childless, but it's not the topic that we really talk about very often because we've got far more interesting things to talk about, really. Hey, Marie. (laughs) (laughs) Bigger fish to fry. Bigger fish to fry. (laughs) But we've got Marie in today. Hello, Marie. 
Hello there. How yeah, are you? Good. Welcome to the Unright Podcast. Thank you very yeah. much. Pleasure to be here. The reason why I asked you to pop in, Marie, uh, is because you've got a very interesting um, family story, and today's topic is about the family that we have come from. I um I, I well I would go for the child free rather than the childless because I chose definitely to be child free. And I also grew up as an adopted child in a family of four adopted children. Um, and and all of them have had children oh. except me. And I, so they've all, so there's, so I'm the second, so the second one to be adopted. The first one had four girls. Wow. Then there was me, none. Then there was my brother who had, has had one girl. And then my sister who had two boys and a girl. So plenty of children in our family. I also grew up with a mother who was very medicated um, and couldn't. So she had been medicated from her first pregnancy where she lost her child and had a complete hysterectomy. So, yeah, and she didn't cope well with that at all. So she had been medicated from pretty much that day on. So she suffered her own grief. Terrible. Mm. And for years, never got over it. And... I also think, though, that she was almost incapable of loving children, but yet the whole plan had always been to have children, wow. so that's why they continued with adoption. Just just to place us for Marie, what decade sort of period are we time are we talking? <laughs> Which decade? <laughs> I was born in 1961. Okay, yeah. so this was sort of during, so you're the second, so really during the 60s. Yeah, so no IVF at that point, yeah. no IVF. Yeah. No. Nah. And she and my birth mother, I was the first of her pregnancies. So she had five pregnancies wow. and kept the fifth child and gave up four for adoption. He grew up thinking he was an only child. So you found out you were adopted early on, quite early on, right? Knew all, all along. along. And yeah, knew all, all along that I was adopted. And I remember an incident at primary school where I don't know what happened, but we all got in trouble terribly at primary school for something and don't know what it was. But I remember one of my friend's mum saying, your mother's going to be so disappointed in you because you're the chosen one. We just got, we, you know, ended up with kids, but you were chosen, so you were going to disappoint your mother. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and I'm like, Holy cow, no and pressure. Like, Do you think that your upbringing, being adopted in particular, affected your decision to not have kids? Hard to say because... It was always you grow up. You grow up thinking that that's your determined path. Mm. That's what's expected of you. That you will go to school, leave school, get a job, get married, have children, mm-hmm. and then stay home for the rest mm-hmm. of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, times change. And that was my my mum. So I refer to my mum as the lady who adopted mm-hmm. me, and that was her her expectations of me that I would go to school, leave at about 15 or 16, get a job in the public service in an office, uh, meet somebody, get married, have babies, stay home. And and I never knew this until such point as I was about 14 or 15 and I wanted things. And my mum said to me, well, you'll have to get a job. And I've said, well, okay, I'll get a job. So I went and got a job. And then I could buy the things that I wanted. And then from there, it was like, well, you've got a job now. You don't have to go back to school. And I've gone, but I want to go back to school. And she said, well, you can't have both. And I've gone, but I can. I can work part-time and I can go to school. And she goes, why do you want to go to school? And I go, because 
I want to get, I didn't want to, I grew up in Bendigo and I didn't want to stay in Bendigo. Mm-hmm. There was for me a bigger world and I wanted out. And the only way I could reasonably expect to get out was to go to university. Mm-hmm. So that was my plan. And that's about as far as I knew I was, you know, could plan ahead was to do my HSC, to go to university. What was I going to study? Had no idea. None. Did your family mm-hmm. try to stop you from going to university? No, my dad didn't. My mum wasn't happy about it because all she could see was that it was going to be an expensive thing. And you have no concept of all of that. And, of course, so you sort of, yeah, so she thought it was going to be expensive and so that's why I shouldn't go. But dad was like, no, if that's what she wants to do. And, of course, I went to be a primary school teacher. So it was sort of like the very acceptable young girl's career path. Yeah. Yeah. So do primary school teaching. It was perfect. Um, so it was from there, but then, you know, university gives you that whole, there's a whole world out there and people have opinions. And I was quite a shy and very quiet person. I can see that. Didn't get in trouble. Can't, I yeah, can't see I know. That at all. Something, went, Something wrong. went wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something so went wrong because honestly, I never spoke. I didn't even know that I could speak. Um, in front, you know, speak in front of adults because I always thought you had to just sit there and be right. quiet. But when you start to realise that you you've got a voice and you can have an opinion, and you know, and my world changed when I got to university. I had to be sufficient and look after myself and care for myself and finance myself and do all these sorts of things. That it was quite a quite a revelation. At what point, you know, did the question? Did the question of do I have kids or I definitely don't want to have kids, did that come up at all for you in your 20s? Definitely. And I had moved to South Australia and everybody was in committed relationships that I knew. Everybody had a girlfriend or everybody had a boyfriend. Mm. and But I never wanted that either. So this is terrible to say. But my um, my relationships with men were pretty much with married men because I knew then that I wouldn't have to commit to having a child mm-hmm. or a relationship. But it's a, co- it's a conscious decision that you've made. The first man who proposed to me said, will you have my children? <laughs> was and that I'm the like, proposal? I like that you said the first proposal. proposal. And you just said... It sounds like there's a few. There were five proposals. Oh my and all goodness! Of them involved getting married and having children. Wow. One involved a farm, and I'm like, no, I don't want. And it was like the whole commitment thing as well went with it. So the whole for me, it was about having a commitment mm-hmm. and having a child. And that's quite a commitment. They just went hand in hand. Quite a commitment. Yeah. But too much. What, what was too much about it at that point? So what, what sort of age were we talking about here? Late twenties. So I would have. Um, mid to late twenties, mid yeah, late twenties, late. Let's go for it. Yeah, mid to late. And 20s. so, what was going and on? Yeah, what was going on that you said? Uh-uh. I was having a ball. <laughs> I was teaching, yep. so I taught teaching full time. Worked part time in a hotel. Went out every Friday and Saturday night, and possibly Sunday night, and got on the turps <laughs> and had a fabulous time dancing, and you know, just had a great life. Yeah. And then everybody, there'd be less and less people coming out because they were, you know, home having dinner or looking after babies and all these sorts of things. So it just got to the point where I thought, and I said, one day said to myself, by the time I'm 30, if I'm not in a relationship, then I'll find somebody and just have a baby. But my, my question, actually, Marie, uh, you're saying about you these five proposals, which I think is flipping fascinating. I mean, I've, I've <laughs> don't, I haven't had one. Marie proposal. needs to write a book about her life. I I'll think. say, 
But I, I'm wondering if is this partly I'm trying to I'm trying to trying to break this down. You're a teacher, so teachers in that time were also fascinating. Like what what kind no, of maybe. area were you that was it like a farming kind of area where you were the the available um still oh, the available yeah. person? Um and were they yeah. and were they also trying to uh, look after you. Oh, look, we've got a single woman here. We want to do the right thing and I want to propose to you. Well, um, maybe she was just so hot. Well, I don't, I, yeah, don't I mean, want to dismiss that either, that you are out. absolutely magnetic. Yeah, and... this, this phase was young. <laughs> but, I, I, but I had so much fun and I had more friends who were male than the females because yeah. men were so much easier to be friends with. You didn't have to be girly, girly. So I was teaching in Tatura and used to come home and work in their family pub on the weekends. And he was like, you know, why don't we get, why don't you, no, will you have my children? And I've gone, is that a proposal? And he said, yes. And I went, but what if I don't want children? And he goes, well, but that's what I want. And I went, then we better just stay friends. <laughs> <laughs> and now does he have children? Yeah, yeah, two two wow. boys he had, and but his and his wife passed away, and we were at her funeral, and we made a pact that um, if by the time we were fifty, if we still hadn't hooked up seriously with someone, we would just live together because we could do that. Right, lovely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you knew each other. Yeah. So, at yeah. some point, then you did go on to meet someone who you had a very serious relationship with. Yeah, I mean, not yep. that the others weren't, but it and was, you know, a different. No, level but of it was. Yeah, and I was, and it was. I was courted, and I was that whole pursued and courted, and it was like, man, that's exciting. And we, you know, we would just book a motel room, and we would just go out for dinner, and we had so much fun together, and we got on terribly well together. And then he, um, he was diagnosed with cancer very soon into our relationship. Mm. And um, and they gave him three to six months to live. Wow. So we decided that three to six months was pretty important to do as many things as we could. But in the beginning, so prior to all that, the things that we spoke about, though, were about he really, he was the youngest of, I think, seven okay. kids. Significant. Or maybe six. I kind of remember. Irish Catholic? Um, but, and can, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, and he was um, the young and quite significantly a different, a, like a 10-year gap between him and his next sibling. And he had been sent to boarding school and desperately wanted to have a family unit, create a family unit. And I was like, like he wanted the proper wedding, all those sorts of things. And I didn't want any of them, but I could see. So this is us not knowing that he had cancer, mm -hmm. but and he was so excited about it all that it became really infectious to be caught up in that whole whirlwind of let's get married and have babies and those sorts of things. Although I was like, I don't know about the babies thing. And he's going, no, you'll be so good at it. Look at it, you with all your nieces and nephews and blah, blah. And I'm going, yeah, I do. I love them. I'm good with kids. I, you know, you teach them and all those sorts of things. Yeah, I could probably do it. And it was the very first time in my life, though, where I had decided or had been comfortable enough that I could share my life and know that there would be somebody else there to help me raise these children and finance mm -hmm. these children as such. 
So for me, it was always about how I had never considered. Yeah, but I'd never considered that somebody else in my life would be there to help me raise a child or finance a child. Because at the end of the day, even if they were with you, um, it would be a matter of they would probably leave anyway. Mm. So so given the, the period of time that was, if mm. you thought that you were, would, if by chance you'd do it on your own, was that an adoption road that you would thought? No, but I thought I could if I didn't fall pregnant with somebody. Then the logic of me kicks in and goes, no, that's not fair on a child, it's not fair on a man. Yes, it would be easier to adopt. Well, you because you 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 knew that that was that was a possibility. Although by the time you were in your thirties, by the time I was thirty, was impossible. Yeah, it became an impossibility. Yeah, yeah. Things yeah, changed. You couldn't. You were too old. You had to be in a relationship. You had to have a certain amount of money in your bank yeah. account, and so failed on all yeah. fronts. So then it was mm. just a matter of you do foster care and those yeah. sorts of things. So. And then I went, Bleh. but then it was not. It wasn't long before I realised that I actually didn't want to have a child full time. I didn't want one. I didn't want to have to have to make that commitment. Can I ask what age you were when your was it was he partner or husband partner. at that point? Partner. partner. We we planned to get married, but yeah, never got there. So I would have been thirty nine, I think, when he right. died. Okay. Okay. And so by the time you met your current partner. The decision was pretty much made for you, right? So you're like, well, that's... yeah, and yeah, yeah, because I was old. <laughs> <laughs> and just let's just clarify because our, our versions of old are all different. They are all different. But you were you yeah. were at least forty by the time you met David. Yes, yeah. and yes. so well, yeah, past that, yeah, met David when I was yeah, so past forty, so two, and we because we worked together, right. and we were mates, and I always said after Patrick died. I always said it was easy to get a shag. You could get a shag anywhere, but you couldn't all necessarily get a friend. Mm, yeah. And I, so David and I were great friends and it was only, you know, a good night on the alcohol and the terps and, you know, the rest is history. You pointedly said that you were aware of the, the grief that your mother was going through and that she was mm. medicated. Do you think that you mm. were, as a as an individual, were were more aware, your personality was more aware of that than your siblings? Definitely. When my sister came along, I mothered her. And, and when the boys came, were there, the boys were nurtured by my father and my grandfather. Mm-hmm. For me, I was the like the ugly duckling, didn't get, didn't get anybody. And it was funny that I um, ended up, though, having a great relationship with my dad and my grandfather, mm. but never got the maternal nurturing at all. So mum was too busy in her own sadness. In her yeah, own, her own yeah, grief. Yep. And it wasn't, it wasn't until oh, the year before she died that I actually connected with my mother. Like, actually, like I had, I could, I empathised with her, but it's sort of like I never had any connection to her at all. Do you find that your younger sister had had a good relationship with her? She definitely had a good relationship mm. with her because by that stage she had started, you know, modern medication yep. was better okay. and, and mum had also started to be um, more proactive in our lives so that we were past being so, – so, she didn't have to get up out of bed in the morning to feed my younger sister because I did it. She didn't have to do all these lots of little things because I did it for her. Okay. And mm. so she had a good relationship with her 
And she, you know, she shopped for her and went shopping with her and all these sorts of things. Mum got a good kid and my sister got a good mum. And I got to be very maternal with her though. Like she was, I used to cut her hair. I did everything for her, made her clothes, did everything. I found that fascinating. And I particularly related to your saying that you didn't necessarily connect with your mother. Um, I felt that from not having children and I, I wondered if where you were going to go with your youngest is because younger sister is that she had kids and um, they had a connection because of that. Ah, um, yeah. And I oh, know they definitely. Yeah. And I, I yeah. so she got to be a granny rather than yeah. Mm, seeing that you didn't have kids out of all of the, the adopted kids, was the relationship also different, do you think, because you didn't have children compared to the rest of your? Yes. Absolutely. It was like you're sort of the um, almost the forgotten child mm-hmm. because the connections were all because the, as it is, parents make better grandparents than they do parents. Mm, yeah, 100% agree. In my life. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. And they just, and so that, but they had this other connection that I didn't have and didn't want. Like, but it was, you were always, yeah, just, you know, oh, that's right. There's Marie's coming as well. <laughs> has got such a story like I said I really did feel like we just scratched the surface with her. It's interesting to me that the three of us have had very different experiences um, as, 100% different. as daughters. Like very an only child mm. with a sibling uh, with and very, being adopted yeah. and yet um, we all all three of us have had very similar our experiences with our mothers were quite similar you know my mother was you know angry a lot she was you know depressed a lot um your mother was tired um, and busy and busy busy for the the enjoyment of seeing what kids you know yeah I was doing as a child yeah and then you've got Marie who you know similarly her mum was going through real trauma real depression um, around her inability to have children that's right and she effectively picked up the role as the mother mothering for her younger sister but do you know what time it is now Penny time is it now shit that comes up on my feed so penny tell me about something that came up on your facebook um feed recently yeah so recently i got invited to a tupperware party and because it's the times that we are it was all online Mm. um Someone that I haven't, I worked with a long time ago, a lovely woman, uh, invited me into this group. And I was like, yes, I feel like I need some new Tupperware. I mean, you know, secretly loving my Tupperware. I might add a few things. So I joined the group um, and they had... Expensive plastic containers. Yeah, but they're great. And and they replace replace for free. Amazing. Effectively last forever. Um, I joined joined this group and they did a live... um, uh, a live demonstration and as part of that they were asking questions like they did a bit of an icebreaker the first one um was 
what uh, excuse would you give your husband for spending more money on Tupperware? Let me just rest a moment on that that question in itself. Right. How how offensive that question is in the first place. I know. Immediately, I was like, "Well, I, I don't have a husband, so but I won't be deterred." <laughs> so, firstly, you have to have a husband to um, want Tupperware, and secondly, you have to ask permission of your husband. Anyway, that's another. There is yeah. a, there's a whole raft of whole things, raft of things right? behind that. But yeah. I went, "That's okay. I'm going to go jovial," and I was like, "Because you love Tupperware and you wanted to win that." And shit. I do. Yeah, yeah you, you wanted know, it. Secret white line fever. Yeah. I want to win the competition. So <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna run with this. So I I respond jovially that um, I don't have a husband I only have to answer to myself yay yeah um did you get a thumbs up did you get a thumbs up or I got, a hug? I, did you I, get a hug I totally got a thumbs up and and I won the segment Whoa. I had the best response that is the best response. turns out that the woman who was running it has um is divorced and so oh she's like could totally my people uh, you're my to- people yeah, yeah, to my answer. But then, and then we had the doozy. Then we had, what do you do to take time out from your children? And I went, oh, well, this is quite pointed. First, we've, we're expected to be married, and now we're expected to have kids. Um, that's okay. Look, I won the first round, and I wasn't married, so I've got this. So I responded and I said that um, I, after a really busy day with my two two babies, I like to put one um, away in their kennel and the other one um, snuggles up on my lap and I sit back and I watch uh, something on Netflix. That's my wow, idea. Smarty pants, hey? Smarty pants. I was super chuffed with myself. Pretty pretty, pretty funny. I was super chuffed. So oh, we, did got, you get... we got a whole bunch of answers actually. Yeah. Things like people hiding in their wardrobe and people yeah. going and sitting in their car or putting their headphones in. So wait, did you get did you get a hug, a heart? Did you get a chuckle? What did you get? No, I got nothing. You got nothing? I got yeah, I got Not zip. even acknowledgement. No no acknowledgement. So everyone else I think got hearts. Um, so, you know, in Facebook terms, we're talking about the yeah, yeah. love you yeah. know, reflection. And there were maybe four or five of us who had given comments um, and you just got everyone ignored. got a heart and, yeah, I got fresh air. I, I left it for a while because I thought. You were quite upset by this. I you was and upset. I remember yeah. seeing you the next Which, day and yeah. thinking, I'm just taking some time, you know, just to kind of ponder. Mm. It, it, this does not feel right to me. Um, but it's I want to exclusionary. I, I want to just is. check that they haven't, you know, they missed it and they have had it, not had a chance to come back and do it. So after a day, there was no response. I didn't get any, you know, special little emoji um, to to say that they liked it or or loved Which it. Which is really offensive. It is. So I made a comment. I said, "Look, um, I, I'm not sure why I have not received a a, a comment on this, but this is." Um, exactly the sort of thing that makes childless women feel excluded, firstly by asking the question and and secondly by not acknowledging the the answer that I've given. I thought mm. it was pretty witty. Um, I just want to give you a chance in case you, you've missed the question. And what happened? Can, can you respond? Um, Nothing. Fresh air. So you didn't win either? I did not win and I didn't get a response. So my question to our community is, do you think we're being too sensitive? Are we? I'm curious. Are we Are we being too sensitive or should people be a little bit more inclusionary? Should people think a little bit more 
about um, what what they're doing in terms of asking those sorts of questions. It is a great question, Joe. I think, and I, I don't want to immediately be defensive of myself, but I, I find myself very checked in how I respond so that I'm not appearing as being sensitive yeah. because I'm very conscious of that. And I felt in this instance that there were two questions that were very pointedly saying that Tupperware was for, for married, married mothers. mothers. And I called that out. I said, you're actually excluding a whole big community of people who don't have kids and aren't necessarily married who love Tupperware and you've just you've just excluded us. It's an interesting one. Shit that comes up on our feed. This is the stuff there that we go. face every day. Thanks for that penny. You're welcome. Wonder what will what will come up on our feed in the next yeah. week. We want to leave everyone with a question, question of, the week. of the week. Penny, uh, yeah. what's this week's question that we're going to ask our Facebook communities? So our question is, do you think that the way you grew up, the family that you were brought up in, had an impact on your state of not having children at the stage? Yeah. So, you know, you may have actually grown up in a family where having children was everything and, in fact, you grew up thinking, that's what I want. I want to have children Mm -hmm. and then for whatever reason, either you changed your mind or you couldn't or you didn't meet the right person or you delayed it to the point where it just became, you know, another chore, whatever, whatever, Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, But did your family impact the decisions that you made at any stage of your life? Mm -hmm. Really keen to know because the three of us today – were brought up in very different families and mm-hmm. yet we came to very similar we've had very similar stories in some ways so well, i'd love to hear very from people. similar experiences with our mothers i think yeah is what we identified. yeah that's right so i'm really keen to hear from other people we just want to say thank you so much for listening today. I really it's been... enjoyed today's conversation. Super excited to hear Marie's story yeah. and just share about where we've come from. Thanks. Thanks, Joe. Thanks. See you next week, Penny. Yeah, see ya. We'd like you to join us on our Facebook page, which is Unripe Community. And if you're childless or child-free and from Australia or New Zealand, you're welcome to join our private group, which you'll find a link to on the Facebook page. We're also on Instagram as Unripe Community. If you want to share a story or let us know what topics you'd like to hear more about, please drop us an email at hellounripe at gmail.com. Our website is where you'll find out a bit more about us. Go to unripecommunity.com.au. 